Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Empowered Patient Radio Show. My name is Hari Kulsa, and I'm your host. As you know, the show is about giving you, the listener, tips on how to navigate the healthcare system and how to be an empowered patient. Not always an easy task. We have an absolutely amazing show today. We have Michelle Rosenthal here, and we're going to be discussing PTSD and how to be empowered and engaged in your care. But before we get to that, first I'd like to send out my thoughts and prayers to all the recent victims of the Springfield, Massachusetts tornado. It seems like Mother Nature has gone crazy this spring so many places, but here in Massachusetts where we just don't usually get tornadoes, this is pretty amazing. So my thoughts and prayers are with you. Today's healthcare navigation tip of the day is know your insurance plan and benefits. I know you say, yeah, 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 I know my insurance plan, I know all that stuff. But what I find is most people don't actually read their benefit plan. So sometimes things come up and they realize, you know, the insurance will say, well, we don't cover that. And you'll say, well, yes, you do. Say, no, read your benefit plan. And there it is. It's not in your benefit plan. So I always tell people, take a look at it because it tells you how much deductible you you have, how much copay you you have for each visit, for each type of visit, for insur- for emergency rooms, for radiology. Uh, also, it tells you how much if you have coinsurance, and coinsurance means you would pay part part of the amount for each visit. Like some people have, it can go anywhere from ninety percent the insurance company pays to ten percent the you pay, or 80% the insurance pays, 20 and so forth and so on. And it's better to know these things ahead of time because you don't want to be surprised, especially if you have to go in the hospital. So it also, uh, in, in the um, benefits plan, it also tells you how to appeal. And I think that's really important to know your rights under, uh, under the law of how to appeal. With the new act, with the new Health Insurance Act, everybody has the right to an external appeals process. That means that once you've exhausted your appeals in-house with the insurance company, you can ask for an external appeal, which means that you can um, <clears throat> you can get an independent group that, to examine what you're appealing. And that's about, it runs about 50-50 to get it to go your way. It depends upon the state and the area, but, um, you know, it's worth it. So I say read it. Read your um, uh, read your benefit package. It'll, it'll give you a lot of information. Uh, so that's my tip of the day. I have one other thing to say before we get to our, our show, and that is we are almost to July. And on July 1st, all over the country is a new set of medical residents in hospitals. This means that those who graduate from medical school and are starting their residency will have their first day in the different departments in the hospital on July 1st. 
Well, we also found that there are more mistakes made, patient errors, during the month of July. So I always tell, tell people, be alert. Just know that if you go to the hospital, make sure that you're seen by the attendant or that you're aware that you ask a lot of questions. So without further ado, today we are lucky enough, and I am so excited today, to have Michelle Rosenthal. She is a trauma survivor who has struggled, who struggled with undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder for 24 years. Uh, she says when she was diagnosed, she went after that she went on a healing rampage. Today, Michelle is 100% uh, post-traumatic PTSD-free and the founder of HealMyPTSD.com, a website devoted to PTSD education and support. Uh, that site, I can't get to over 8,700 visits a month, and it is an incredible site for uh, and resource for survivors, caregivers, and healing professionals. Michelle also recently published a wonderful book, uh, just released, I believe, called Before the World Intruded, a memoir about trauma, survival, identity, and the pursuit of joy. She also hosts um, Your Life uh, Your Life After Trauma radio show, Thursdays at 7 to 8. So without further ado, it is time to bring on our wonderful guest, Michelle Rosenthal. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. Your show is, well, it's so important, Harry, because there's so much that we can do as patients, but in mm-hmm. the patient role, we feel so unempowered, so powerless. So I, I love the topic of what you do. So thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I've been Michelle, I've been so excited about this because I think that you offer the most, I mean, the, your site is so amazing. And uh, uh, I just want to congratulate you on your book. I mean, that that's an amazing feat to get a book published. <laughs> Oh, thank you, thank you so much. You know, actually, since you and I first spoke, we pushed back the publication date, so it's not actually out yet. It's coming. We pushed it back. I wanted to do some revisions. We had some extra things we wanted to do with the book, so we're actually um, it's going to be released in the beginning of 2012 instead. I didn't realize that. um, I didn't update you on that. I'm sorry. But for anybody who's listening and wants to get a taste of the book, you can download uh, the first five chapters utterly for free, complimentary, on the HealMyPTSD.com website. It's right on the home page. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think this book is going to be quite an asset and quite a wonderful um, resource for people. Um, speaking of your website, um, well, for, I, I was watching your video on your website, which is great, and um, you made a statement, which I mentioned in the intro, um, that you struggled with PTSD for 24 years before a diagnosis. Uh, what, what, what was that journey like for you? I mean, if you can take a second and, and give us a little bit of, uh, you know, what, what it was like to get there. Absolutely. You know, I mean. Absolutely, yeah. It was horrible, as I'm sure you can imagine. My trauma occurred uh, in 1981. I was 13 years old. So if any of you are doing the math, that means I'm 43 now. <laughs> and, but in 1981, PTSD only became a clinical diagnosis in 1980, and that was because of events that happened because of the Vietnam War. So at that time, PTSD was only being applied in the military sense. No one in the civilian world was really looking at anyone who survived a trauma and saying, oh, you know, I think you have symptoms of this. So 
I think also because I was a teenager, you know, I was when I raged out of control or or when I was distant and you couldn't connect with me, I was labeled just a, a difficult teen. And then I'm a writer, as you said, so as I moved into early adulthood, I, I was a playwright, I was a poet, I became a temperamental artist. And so as the symptoms progressed and PTSD symptoms get worse if they don't get treated, I just went into a dark, deep depression, I had nightmares, I, intrusive thoughts, absolutely avoided all mention or, or any contact with anything that reminded me of my trauma. And if you, if you know PTSD symptoms, they're grouped in three categories, avoidance, uh, arousal, and re-experiencing. And so I had the classic symptoms from the beginning, but because nobody recognized them, I was left on my own with them. And, and because of what it feels like to live in that darkness for so long, you can imagine I became increasingly isolated, never really held a job, got fired from jobs because I just couldn't manage on the job because sometimes I was just in too much of a fog to focus or concentrate. So, and you can imagine what that does to your relationships. <laughs> so there's like a brief that. overview of how horrible <laughs> it was. So you were very alone during this time. I mean, that, that's Well, really I was not alone, actually. The funny thing is I have a great family, and they stood by me, as even though I was so difficult to be around. And, mm -hmm. and, and as anyone with PTSD knows, you can fake it. So I was in and out of relationships because I could fake my way in. And then after a little while, I really needed to get out. <laughs> so, so you right, end up, right, right. Uh, and 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 everything cycles, right? So sometimes you're, you know, you're in the mood of I'm going to connect with people, I'm going to pretend everything's fine, I'm going to do this, and then you get so exhausted and depleted by faking it, it 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 just uses up all of your energy, and then you crash and you you. Uh, I did an interview on Your Life After Trauma last night, which is my radio show that airs Thursday nights, and I was interviewing um, a, a psychotherapist who works with PTSD in the veteran community in Iraq and in Afghanistan. I mean, she's always over there. It was intense, and uh, it's a it's a great great archive. It's on the HealMyPTSD.com website under Your Life After Trauma. Um, but the, she she put it in this way. You're either um, really strong and on the wall or you hunker in your bunker. And I, I love that idea because yeah. that is what you yeah. do. It's like I cannot handle the world out here. I'm going to go hunker in my bunker <laughs> because that's where we feel exactly. safe. And the interesting yeah. part about what you went through is that yours, what your journey was I mean it was so many years ago when it, at that time it wasn't even you know it wasn't even a diagnosis on primary care or you know specialist minds to even look at that mm -hmm. as 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 part of a cause and I think what your story also brings out is that it isn't just about war and major major trauma I mean uh, violence it's it can no. be PTSD can occur with any kind of trauma that occurs in your life. Exactly. I mean, you know, because you – go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, well, you go ahead. <laughs> no, so, so my, my question – I mean, I think that your story is so helpful for people. I mean, what your, your journey is so 
reveals that and, and has helped people, I imagine, with who realize, yes, this is something that I've gone through. This is, I had this trauma and it's, it's you know, yes, this is me. I mean, I think is, is that's that a really good point. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that, that that's an excellent point. Hari, is it Hari? Is that how Hari, you pronounce yes, your yes. name? Hari, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's an excellent point because the media covers PTSD pretty much 99.9% of the time solely through the combat vet perspective. But the truth of the matter is a couple of things. Number one, the causes of post-traumatic stress disorder range from combat to natural disaster, which we're seeing a lot about. You, you mentioned in your intro the tornadoes. And we've got floods and we've got earthquakes. We've got all kinds of natural disasters happening. Domestic violence, child abuse, sexual assault, child sexual molestation, the car accidents. Mine was a medical illness. So really the definition of PTSD is not specifically related to combat. The diagnostical criteria for PTSD has nothing to do with with the military. It has to do with being in a situation where your life is threatened and in which you feel powerless. It just so happens that because of our history, the military angle became the focus because of the Vietnam War veterans and the struggles they were having. But PTSD has actually existed throughout centuries and in all of these different populations. So you're, you're making an excellent point when you say that, yes, PTSD is everywhere. It is not just the military, and quite frankly, the number of civilians with PTSD outnumbers the number of veterans with PTSD or military with PTSD. So it's significant. Right, so so here again, people are walking around with the symptoms, and they're not being recognized. <laughs> that, so much. You know, I mean, right? I mean, that, that, yeah, I, mean, I, I see that a lot all also. I hear that all yeah. the time, that people are, um, it's funny, you're bringing up things I just talked about on, on my show last night. I, I spoke with a, a veteran from the British Army. He had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I hear that all the time here. I went to the trauma, the annual trauma conference up in Boston with Bessel van der Kolk. What everyone was talking about there is how often PTSD is misdiagnosed for bipolar or borderline personality disorder, and it's because they all I mean, look that's so scary. similar. That's scary. It is. <laughs> it is. I, I, I know someone... Um, whose partner was diagnosed with bipolar and for five years was on bipolar medicine. And I didn't understand why she wasn't getting any better. Can you imagine, as a patient, being medicated for five years for an erroneous syndrome? And you lose those five years. Right, and I mean, as a patient advocate, I see that a lot. So that brings me to a question. You were on your Mm -hmm. journey 24 years. What... What was the turning point? Did someone say, you have PTSD, or did you read something? You said, I think I have this. I mean, how, how did you get to the next point for your well, healing? It, that's a great question. My journey taught me you need to be an empowered patient, <laughs> and, and for just that reason that, that you mentioned. <laughs> so here's what happened. PTSD, you know, PTSD causes you to constrict your life. You need to control everything so that you feel safe. And uh, uh, 20% of PTSD people end up doing 
what I did as part of their constriction routine, which is you develop eating disorders. And for me, I was anorexic. For me, my my trauma had come from ingesting a medication that I had been allergic to, and it put me into a life-threatening illness. I was in the hospital for over three weeks. And so for me, what what was coming into my body was I had to really, really manage that. And there were other reasons. But my reason for bringing that up is if you are anorexic for 20 years, as I was, that really does a lot of damage to your body. And by the time I was 35, I was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis. And as I sat in my endocrinologist's office, he said to me, you have got to put on some weight or your body, your bones are going to begin crumbling spontaneously. And that terrified me. And that was the moment, Hari, that I decided to become an empowered patient because I was so frightened and so scared of what was happening because I wasn't taking care. And that put me on a path of trying to figure out why am I doing this? What is wrong with me? I'd known since I was 13 something wasn't right in my head. I came out of the hospital, something big had changed. But it wasn't until I was 35 and then 36 and 37, because it took some time to process all this, um, that I decided, all right, I need to get focused. I need to do some research. I need to figure out what's going wrong here. At the time, I was in therapy. And my, my therapist, here's the sad part. We talked a lot about my trauma, which you do in talk therapy. And I was getting worse and worse and worse. Right. And we just kept talking about it. And when I finally, when I came out of this, your bones are going to spontaneously crumble meeting, I thought, i got to get serious. I need to do some research. Here, here's what I'm feeling. What does this mean? And I started researching my illness just because I didn't know that much about it. And because it was so rare, no one had ever really given me much information. I decided to study. So I read about what I had survived and what it meant, and that literature brought up the word trauma, and I had never thought of myself uh-huh. as being traumatized. And uh-huh. that's such uh-huh. a big turning point, you know, to become more self-aware as a patient of not just I'm going from meeting to meeting, but who am I? <laughs> and, and I think and you've been when, to a bunch of doctors at that time who, I mean, so so no one had used that word before. No trauma, one had used that, had that word trauma. before. No, and here's the sad part, and this will resonate with you because you're such a great patient advocate. My mother, since I, before I even came out of the hospital, my mother had been telling people this is going to cause psychological damage. How are we going to help her? And everybody said, she's a kid, she'll bounce back. And then when I started having. She will bounce back. (laughs) Yeah, right, because we're so resilient. (laughs) And you know, that might be true if you're two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, God bless your mother. I mean, she had such insights. She did, but here's what happens. We would go, and because of the PTSD and 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 how long it exacerbated, I ended up not just with bone problems, but with liver problems, stomach problems, intestine problems. I've got a medical file three inches thick where they're documenting my liver enzymes are escalating. They don't know why. My intestines are shutting down. They don't know why. My stomach's not digesting food. They don't know why. And every doctor that I went to see couldn't diagnose me and had no other idea. 
And my mother, you said, God bless her, so true, because I was in and out of the hospital for tests, and one of the doctors came out of the examining room and said to my mother, your daughter, I was 29 at the time, he said, your daughter is shaking so much, we cannot work with her, what is wrong with her? And my mom said, well, you know, she she had this, this illness when she was 13, and I think hospitals frighten her. And the doctor looked right at her, Hari, and said, she's 29 now. She's not thinking about what happened when she was 13. They just, oh, yes. they just count you. You know, it's and so what I was thinking about that I was going to be speaking with you today. And I was thinking about so many of my clients who come to me, oh, I, ha-, you know, with, with tale, stories like yours, not as dramatic, and, and, I've been to so many doctors. I've been this. I've been in the hospital. I've been this, and you know that. You know, it's always you know uh, take um, take the maybe you're depressed or maybe you're this or maybe you're that. And I thought, wow, maybe you know I need to. I mean, I I I need to really talk to them. Maybe I'm not asking enough questions about have you had a trauma. You know, to really see if I'm mm. you know how I can help advocate in that way because. The story you're telling is you had this trauma, and even the medical community, ah, trauma 13, you know, it, it didn't, it, it, it wasn't important to them. It wasn't part on their radar scale. It was, it was the symptom you had, the stomach problem or the shaking. I mean, it, you know, is, is that the experience that, that, that you've had? Yeah, what I found is, and this is what's frightening, because I'll tell you the other side of this, when I did all this research and I started reading about trauma, that led me to read about dissociation, which just so completely described right. the state in which I live. Dissociation literature led me to post-traumatic stress disorder. And I, I found right. a PTSD self-test that's based on the diagnostic criteria. It had 22 questions. I answered positively to 20 of them. And I went to my therapist with this and I said, you know, do you think I have PTSD and his answer to me was, what is PTSD? And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm oh. all alone. <laughs> I was so oh and you know what? Actually, I was so terrified to have a psychological label that I didn't want him to say yes. So at first, right, I was like, right. oh, cool. He doesn't know what it is. It doesn't apply to me. And then right, right, right. You know, the right. more you begin to advocate for yourself, the more empowering it feels, the more you feel in control, the more you want to keep doing it. So, I so, so wait, wait a sec. You said you, yeah, said you yeah. the more you advocate for yourself. What, what, what did you start to do at that point to advocate for yourself? Because this is like well, sort of how you began to engage in your care, right? I mean, at this exactly, point, Exactly. So I told my, my therapist this, and he was like, I don't know what that is. And then when I explained it to him, and I said to him that I don't have flashbacks all the time, so I don't think I could possibly have PTSD. And he said, oh, I agree with you. <laughs> oh, great. I oh, said, good, fabulous. good, good, <laughs> good. But then you know you have that little inner voice. And that right. little inner voice, which we don't listen to very much when we're patients because we're so scared and frightened and feeling like the doctors and the MDs and the PhDs, they're the authority figures, and we right. defer to them. But still, that little voice has ideas, and that little voice in me, even though my therapist said, no, you don't have PTSD, that little voice kept saying, but what about this, and what about this, and what about this? And so I kept researching until I had so much knowledge about PTSD that it was really undeniable 
and how it applied to me, and I decided I needed a second opinion. And I think as patients, we forget that that's always an option to go get a second opinion. You don't have to take the word of the first person you talk to if there's that little voice that says, I'm not not sure. And I I love that you said that because that's my... That's what I tell everybody. I've, I've talked about it on the show. I tell everybody, second opinion, always. And if you want a third opinion, I mean, exactly. that it, it, it's, it's the gold standard for me because it does make a difference. I think It made right. a difference for you. It made a difference for me more than once in my life. I broke um, two fingers on my left hand because of this osteoporosis. And the first doctor, who was very well respected, he's the orthopedic surgeon for the New York Jets. So he set my fingers and Ooh, he said, we're going to need to do surgery. <laughs> oh, really? I don't even know yes. how I got to him. My mother found him. But oh, here's great. the thing. Well, you're, you know, you're, you're my best friend now. So, okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't know. You may not like me after this because he set my fingers uh, and told me I was going to need surgery for both of them. We were going to have to put pins in. And, I, you know, that's, that's the last thing I wanted. And my mother sure. and I and my dad discussed it, and they they really taught me to be an empowered patient. So a lot of what I learned um, from just watching their examples, I then implemented in my own self-care and and they were always big on second opinions and think it through. And we talked about it, and, and we decided before we have surgery, we're getting someone else's opinion because it's just two fingers. Like, how many pins could you possibly need? <laughs> and right. the right, second right, opinion right, said, right. I, I just don't think that surgery is necessary. And he was right because, you know, I'm fine. I didn't have the surgery. My, my hand works just fine. So I employed the same thing in my PTSD journey, and I went and I found – this is another thing, you know, we can go to a general practitioner and they can have an opinion, but sometimes you really need a specialist. And what I discovered was I'd been with the wrong therapist all along because I'd gone to the therapist to help me with being a chronic patient. I had not gone to him to talk about my trauma, but I was such a chronic patient with all these PTSD physical problems, not that we knew it was PTSD at the time. So I didn't, go to him for trauma so he was not trauma trained and what I discovered was I really needed someone trained in trauma and I found somebody and I went and I talked to her and I said look here's what I'm thinking here's what I've experienced tell me what your thoughts are so I in in my second opinion I got the diagnosis that I needed and it was because I kept as you know so well you have to stay on top of your journey. You can't just like, you're not riding an inner tube down a river and saying, okay, I don't need a paddle. Just take me wherever you want me to go. As a patient, you have to have the paddle, you know, and and you have to jump out of the inner tube at certain times (laughs) just to save yourself. That's a good analogy because that's exactly what it's like for people, you know, and they hit the bumps and they have to know they can, you know, keep going. Um, I can't believe this, but we're you know we only got like two minutes left here. I'm I'm just uh, oh I should have oh this is you know you I could talk to you for the next several hours. Your your journey is amazing. But what I want to let you know I always ask people uh, who are on my show you know in the last few minutes what's your what's your sage advice for someone who's beginning this journey? What you know what's your best advice? I know you said a lot you know keep, you know listen to your inner yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there something that you, besides going to your site, which I think is a great starting point for anybody who has any idea, but what would be something else that you would recommend someone? Well, actually, 
it goes along with what you just said because the HealMyPTSD.com website is full of information about post-traumatic stress disorder. But whether you have PTSD or not, uh, here's the thing that was critical for me, and it began my whole self-empowered journey, and we've touched on it, education. You need to be educated in order to mm-hmm. be an empowered patient. You have to know not everything but you have to have a working knowledge of where you are in the moment. So that means looking internally and finding the language to describe what you're experiencing in that moment, which is not mm-hmm. easy to do. But if you write it out, like if you were going to write somebody a letter, you know, Dear Hari, today I'm feeling this way. And when you start writing it out, the words start to flow. It's like that, it's just that kinesthetic transfer from your brain to your hand. And the words begin to flow out. You need to be able to educate yourself about your own internal experience so you find the language to express it so you get help. And you also need to educate yourself about the facts of what you're dealing with so that you know from whom to seek the right help. So my my okay. big tip is educate yourself inside and out. Okay. Wow, wow. That's great, great advice. I also want to say that you can find Michelle on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Mm. Am I correct with those? Yes, and YouTube. Uh, so that your site. And you also have a uh, a newsletter. If you go to her, you know, my PTSD uh, website, you will find that you can also uh, sign up for her website and you can also get her Healing Thought of the Week, which I thought was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, thing for people to get, you know, to to see. So, Michelle, I want to thank that you little so bit of inspiration. Much. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, inspiration. Thank you. I, I I I value this very much, and I appreciate you taking the time. So, thank you again, and and I will look forward to your book, and I encourage people to look at the first five chapters. So, thank you thank very you so very much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye bye.